Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. So we left off at the last episode on James 4, verses 1 through 3. And in James 4, 1 through 3, we're talking about how we should not quarrel and fight against ourselves. And the reason why we quarrel and fight against ourselves is because we're more inward-focused rather than God-focused or outward-focused. And when we align our will with God's will, then it reduces the quarrels and fighting in our life because now we have a common thing. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom. It's about God and what his will is. As a matter of fact, this is a major part of being in the kingdom of God. We know this because of Jesus' prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So if you're going to be in God's kingdom, then you want his will to be done in your life. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. And so that is part and parcel of being in the kingdom, being an ambassador of the kingdom. And if you have God's will done in your life, and if someone who you're quarreling with has God's will done in their life, then the two you come together and you can agree because at least we're focusing on the right thing, not on ourselves, but on the kingdom of God. So that was what James was talking about earlier in James chapter 4. But now we're going to move on to an interesting part of James chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. So let's just read it a little bit. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So basically what James is talking about here is don't have friendship with the world because when you have friendship with the world, you're an enemy of God. That's what he's talking about. And uh, we're going to unpack that today. just made myself a cup of coffee, so I'm having a cup of coffee. Um, we know that we're members of the kingdom of God, that through our baptism we become, we become heirs of the kingdom of God with all rights and privileges, which means we have the Holy Spirit's power working with us. We have forgiveness of sins through Jesus, uh, and we have honor that we are actually not living outside of the castle, but we're in the castle living in the king's quarters because we are a child of the king. We're, we're basically ambassadors of the king. We follow the king. He loves and protects us and he makes us part of the kingship. That is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, if you are in the kingdom of God, remember what it says here in James 4, fourth, beginning of verse 4, you adulterous people. He calls, if you're, if you're a friend of the world, you're adulterous. Now, we've talked about this before, about adultery. Adultery is when you are married to one person and then you violate that marriage with somebody else. That's called adultery. And in the Old Testament and in Jesus' time, you would find a spouse that you're, that you're going to be married to You'd be betrothed. There would be a dowry set. You would engage with that person. 
the agreements and the terms of the agreement would be set, and then you would have a period of time where you would try to come up with a dowry. You would you would try to build a home, so it's a place to live. You don't want to have your daughter going off to marry somebody if there's not a plan set up for them to live. So after the engagement, then there's there's coming up with the dowry. There's coming up with the place to live. There's this period of time, and then there'd be the wedding ceremony where the groom would come and he'd get the bride. And they would consummate the marriage. They'd live happily ever after. Had lots of children, right? That's that's basically why, the, what what it was in the Old Testament, and why why is adultery so bad? I mean, this is one of the big ten commandments: is thou shalt not commit adultery. Why is that so bad? And of course, we we talk about children, how they need to have stable parents. They need to have a mom. They need to have a dad. They need to have a stable family. If you have a stable family, kids grow up healthy and happy. And then they can grow healthy and happy children also. So having so having this this relationship between a husband and a wife, a very strong relationship that produces children, creates creates a family which which helps raise the children because it's not just a matter of raising kids physically, it's also raising kids emotionally, spiritually, so that they can become everything that God wants them to become in this world. That's what the family does. And going outside of that family now, you violated all that sort of thing too. But I don't know if we've really talked about this before, but I also believe that the commandment against adultery is there to protect the the husband, um, protect the man. Men are interesting creatures. We This may sound crazy to you, but I've observed a lot of men and I've observed myself. Men have very, very, very tender hearts. I know that sounds crazy, but... Uh, we are, we when we fall in love with someone. For example, when I fell in love with Jennifer, it's it's like it's like your heart leaps for joy, and and all you can think about is that person, and you want to write poetry about that person, and you dream about that person, you envision life with that person, and everything's kind of focused around that person, and so when you get engaged. You are free to do all those things because eventually it's going to culminate in a marriage and it further protects the guy's heart, right? But if you are, if you don't protect a guy's heart and he falls head over heels in love with someone and really starts going down that path and then for whatever reason it doesn't happen in marriage, that can actually be, have some huge lifelong tremendously difficult consequences in a guy's life because like I said guys hearts are tender I know that sounds crazy because all males me included right present ourselves as being strong and you know able to handle all of the life and all of these things but it's a facade we are deep down we are very tender and probably females are too but I'm not a female so I can't really speak to that but but I can speak to males at some level, we are just very, very tender people. And it's particularly from that time from, you know, puberty till we get married and start having kids. That time right there is just a very tender time for, for men. They are um, they, they're trying to figure life out. They're, they want to be, you know, they have dreams of of who they're going to be in life, they're going to be chivalrous. They're going to be the master of their, you know, master of the house. All of these things that they dream about and think about when they're, 
you know, in that very, very tender age trying to figure out life. And then, of course, then you get married, you have kids and you and that kind of all changes. Now it's about producing and, you know, trying to help, you know, the family grow. And I'm just speaking about men right now because I know that women have a whole different set of things are very much overlap in men. But so that that's the so that's the rabbit hole of adultery because it's there to because you can't have allegiance to one woman. I'm speaking about men. You can have allegiance to one woman and then go have allegiance to another woman. It doesn't work that way. Now, there have been history of men in the Old Testament that did have allegiance to several different women. It never worked out well for them. And it was never God's plan. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve, and that was it. And and you look throughout the history of the Old Testament, it's mostly just men and women, one man, one woman coming together. There were times when there were some weird things that happened in that, but from for the most part, you can't have allegiance to more than one woman unless you're a king and have ultimate resources. But even then, you probably have allegiance to only one woman. I mean, even in the Old Testament, we looked at the book of Genesis. There was there were men that you that they just there's a there's a, the tender heart tends to go towards one woman. You can't violate that. It's very very bad if you do. And so when when James says you adulterous people, what he's talking about is you can't like fall in love with God and then fall in love with the world also. You have to choose which one you're going to fall in love with. And for me personally, like I, I was recently telling this to somebody. Um, I was sharing my faith with somebody. I was like, I, I just love Jesus. I just love who he is. I love his life. I love everything, everything about him. I love the fact that he was humble. I love the fact that he was powerful. He spoke truth to power. I love the fact that he was austere. He, he didn't have to have much to live the life that he lived, and yet he was the most influential person that's ever lived. And he changed dramatically the world around him. Everything today is the way it is, in, at least in Western culture, because of Jesus. And you can't deny that. I mean, science can't disprove that. There's no question about that. You look at the life of Jesus and what he did. Everything that we are in the United States with our freedom, I believe, emulates from an aspect of Jesus, which is that we have free will and we're not happy unless we're, unless we're experiencing our free will. And all of that at its root comes back down from one guy that lived 2,000 years ago in a small town, born in a small town out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of an empire that was dominating the world. I mean, just think about that. That's impressive in and of itself. That would be, even without the resurrection, that would be like, man, let's take a look at this guy. He's obviously an interesting person. And more books have been written about Jesus than anybody else in the world, right? But then you start to delve deeply into who he is and what he taught and the things that he, the way that he healed people and the way that he brought a, a team of disciples around him and that they were able to carry this on even after he was gone. It's really, truly an amazing, amazing thing. We talk about women having the right to vote. 
And all of that comes back to Jesus. At before Jesus' time, women were basically second-class citizens. And Jesus loved women, elevated women. Jesus loved children, elevated children. Jesus loved the stranger, elevated the stranger. Jesus showed love and compassion to everybody. And if you, if you truly look at the life of Jesus, you cannot come away but thinking that he was absolutely amazing, the most beautiful person that ever lived, definitely worth emulating. And then, of course, there's the historical part that he died from the Roman Empire and then rose again to show that he has power over death so that we know that one day we will have power over death and that power over death comes to us because we're in the kingdom. And we're in the kingdom not because of anything that we do, but because Jesus came to this earth and bought and purchased us so that we could be in the kingdom. So th that is all really, really good stuff. And why would you ever want to follow anybody else? Once Jesus is deeply penetrated and you fall in love, almost like a first love type of thing, fall in love with Jesus, why would you... Why would you turn to something else? And yet, these people that James are writing to apparently did turn to something else. They turned to what James calls friendship with the world. Now, I don't think... Obviously, what, Jesus, what James is talking about here is that these early Christians were turning back to the old ways if you know anybody that lives in the world and has no semblance whatsoever of grace in their life, which is a very Christian theme, they have no grace in their life, then they act and behave a certain way. And the way that they act and behave is, first and foremost, this life is about me. And the biggest fear I have in this life is not living a long life, missing out on opportunities that life may provide, living a life that doesn't, isn't filled with, with meaning for me, making sure that if anybody wrongs me, there's justice in the world that I correct that wrong to the point that I might even sue them to get that wrong corrected. And the world, the basic tenant of the world is that it's about me, that this whole life that we have on this world is about me. And that may seem like a great thing because obviously we are very important to ourselves. But the, but the truth is, is that when a person makes life solely about themselves, they slowly degrade into bitter, angry, self-centered people that in the end don't actually find happiness, don't find peace, don't find joy, and are not the healthiest people for themselves. Because in this world that God has created, the joy, the greatest joy comes from serving other people, loving God and loving your neighbor. That's the greatest joy. And so you, you when you are in the kingdom and you have all rights and privileges, one of the rights and privileges that you have is serving the world using your hands and feet and and resources and everything to be to be an ambassador for the kingdom that is what it means to be part of the kingdom and if you're inward focused 
you're, you're not part of the kingdom. You're, at least you're not living like you're part of the kingdom. So he says, you adulterous, it's like having adultery. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You have to choose. God, Jesus said this too. You can't love God. You can't love God and mammon. Mammon being kind of the worldly things, the, the world. You have to choose one. Are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve the world? And obviously we, as ambassadors of Jesus, serve, serve Jesus. So we're not going to serve the world. We're not going to be... In, we can be in the world, we can love the world, we can serve the world, but we're not going to take that culture and make it all about ourselves. That's basically what this means here. Or do you think that it says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell within us? So, so this loving the world thing is or this being a part of the kingdom and, and not loving, you know, being in the world, choosing between the world and God. This is a spiritual thing. It's not a worldly thing. It's a spiritual thing. And God wants our spirit. He wants our spirit to be in his kingdom, to love him first. So physically, I might, and emotionally and all that, and even spiritually, I may love Jennifer, but spiritually, my inward spirit, the thing that's going to live on after me with, with God um, in the new world, that that thing that God puts inside of me that connects with the Holy Spirit, that first and foremost loves, loves the Spirit, loves God's Spirit first. And he longs for my spirit that dwells within me. That's, if I think I love God and want to serve and follow him and have that first love type of relationship with God, ever more so does God have that relationship with us. He looks at us as if we are the most important, fantastic thing in our spirit. He, he loves us deeply and compassionately because he has a tender heart. And he, he created us with tender hearts because he has a tender heart. And all he wants for us, for me, is for my spirit and his spirit to connect in a very, very deep and emotional, spiritual way. That's what God wants. And... He gives us more grace through that connection. He gives us grace and he allows us to give grace to the world around us. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God does not like proud people. What are proud people? Proud people are inwardly focused people. And this sin of pride, it's one of the deadly sins, right? But this sin of pride is probably my stumbling point when it comes to my life because I right or wrong I've always felt that God has blessed me with certain things and I've been, been proud of those things that God has blessed me with I've I've um, said this before I don't know if I've said this in a while but um, when I was in my 20s I was a very 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 proud young man, thinking that I was God's gift to mankind, thinking I was God's gift to the church, thinking I was God's gift to the world, to my wife, had started having kids in the in, in my 20s, so maybe even to my kids. I, uh, for whatever reason, was very, 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 very proud young man. And had I been a pastor of a church at that age, 
it would have been a very, very difficult time for me, and it would have been a very, very difficult time for the church. It would have been a lot of learning curve and for, for both me and the congregation. And it probably would not have ended well. There probably would have been a few missteps that would have been catastrophic. Not that I've had, you know, missteps since then, but particularly in my 20s. My pride would, would have been my downfall for that congregation. It took, it took a while for God to mold and shape me and to get rid of my pride, <laughs> which he did. I still am proud, don't get me wrong, but I am not nearly the proud person that I was in my 20s and in my 30s. And so God just has an amazing way to mold and shape us the way that he wants to mold us and shape us. I remember in eighth grade after confirmation, I had these dreams of becoming a pastor. And it didn't work out that way. It took a long time. It took about another, let's see, I graduated from eighth grade in 76 and I graduated from seminary in 2007. So it took another 30 years for God to mold and shape me to get me where he wanted to be, to be the person that he wants me to be. Because pride is a killer. And God opposes proud people and he shows favor to the humble. And so I think that's the reason why he's humbled me. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm the most perfectly humble person. I still have a lot of pride. But it is greatly reduced on the scale of prideship from what it was when I was in my 20s. And God did all that. I've learned from it. And you can imagine, maybe some of you are that way too, just awfully proud people. Do it myself. I can do it myself. Uh, I'm, I'm the... I'm the smartest and the wisest and the strongest and the most mature and all of that kind of stuff in the room type of thing. Um, and it, it takes a, lit, a little bit of living before you realize you're none of those things, that, uh, that it's not healthy to think that way and it's not healthy for the kingdom to think that way. And so God has a way uh, of... I think the prouder you are, the more you fall from that pride. Unless you never do, right? Unless, I think if you're, if you're in the world and you, your allegiance isn't with Jesus, but your allegiance with the world, pride is a very powerful thing and it can be a very dangerous thing. Pride can, can make you assume that you are the best in any particular area and you don't listen to other people when they say, are you sure about that? And so you, you close off your ability to look beyond your own self and look at the world around you and help the world around you shape yourself. And so pride is pride's just a very deadly, deadly thing. It's one of the seven deadly sins is pride. And I probably, I probably, if it hadn't been for Jesus entering my life, I do wonder. I tell this to people because I didn't come to faith until right before seventh grade. And I've often wondered what my, if, if Jesus had never entered my life, if I had never found God, if he'd never found me, if he'd never led me down the path that he led me and put the important people in my life that he did, I often wonder 
what a life without God would look like in my life. And it's it scares me to death. I've said, I might even be, I don't know if I'd be a sociopath, but I would, I would be, if, if, it, if it's only you that you're concerned with and you have the ability to, uh, to game the system and, and lie and cheat and steal and know that people are never going to catch you, and, and if that thrills you and excites you, then, which it did when I was in grade school, then what, what does that person become later on in life if without God in your life, without that norming of the scriptures in your life, without Christian people in your life helping to shape and guide you? Like, what does that really look like? like? And it's a scary thing. It truly is. But God, for whatever reason in his grace, humbled me, continues to humble me, and I'm sure you know that he humbles you and he continues to humble you and he shows you grace and he's molding you and shaping you and me into the persons and the people that he wants us to be. And that and you can't be you can't be a friend of the world and in the kingdom. You have to choose one. Ultimately, deep down at its root, you have to choose one. Now, does that mean that you can't be in the world? Absolutely not. Does that mean you can't serve the world? Absolutely not. Of course you can serve the world. Of course you can be in the world. As a matter of fact, the more your understanding of the world culture and the more you serve the world, the more beneficial you are for the kingdom of God. But ultimately, deep down, you have to choose one or the other. And my prayer for all of us is that we know that we're in the kingdom, and so we choose to serve God and be his hands and feet in the kingdom first and foremost and primarily. That's what James talking about here. So I think we'll end it. Again, um, well, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for bringing me into your kingdom. Help me to be humble. Get rid of my pride. Help me to serve the world around me, to be your ambassador through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.